Well, good evening. How's everybody doing? Good to see you with us there online, uh, whether you're on one of our social media platforms there, or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, retweet, do all those things you need to do on each one of those. Uh, get the word out more so that people can see this message uh, for tonight. It's an awesome message. I encourage you uh, to share it with others. It's going to be Revelation chapter 20. We're getting closer and closer to the very end. And then also, don't forget our phone live streaming. If you need that number, you can call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. If if you are there on phone live streaming and you should lose the service tonight for some reason, uh, just hang on to the line there for two or three minutes. It should catch back up if it comes back in. If it doesn't, just call that number back that called you or it will recall you in just a couple of minutes after you hang up. So just want to remind you about that process that works there uh, on the phone live streaming. So uh, also encourage you if you have the access to go to our website, go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download to this week's worship bulletin. Lots of events that are coming up and each week it seems like it's going to get fuller and fuller in our bulletin with all of the things uh, that are upcoming. We also have there under that info tab the worship bulletins for children, uh, one for ages three and up, one for ages seven and up. They go along with Sunday morning's messages on the life of Jesus. So I encourage you to use those, download those, uh, share those, share the link to those, however you need to do that to get uh, that into the hands of kids more and more. That's a, that's a tool, a resource you have to share the gospel uh, with children. And then also under that info tab is where you can download tonight's prayer bulletin, uh, prayer list. Be sure to get that downloaded so that when we go over that tonight, uh, you can be able to give us any updates. If you're there on any of the platforms, uh, so Facebook is the one that we look at live. So hop over to there, give us any update, give us any prayer requests you need to give. Uh, if you need to, you can call the church office to give us those. Uh, and you can also uh, send those to our email at highlandbaptisttullahoma at gmail.com or highlandbaptistatcafes.net. Either one of those will work. We'll get that email. We'll get it into the prayer list there. We'll only see the Facebook, though, live. While you're there on the church website, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there. You can do your regular online giving. You can do your golden offering for Tennessee missions. We're getting closer and closer to that goal, uh, but just want to push over the edge uh, to get that. In fact, we just got a certificate this past week from the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board that our church for the second year in a row now is in the top 10 percent across the state of churches and giving to the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. Uh, that's not the top 10% per capita, that's the top 10% in total giving to the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. So thank you so much for what you've done over the last years. Uh, we did surpass the goal uh, already for this past year. Uh, the goal was 2 million, they went to 2, 2, 200,000. So they surpassed it by 200,000. So what a wonderful blessing that is. We wanna surpass that in this coming year. So you continue to give uh, towards that. And then I'll mention more about this later with our Revelation prophecy chart when we get to that point. Don't forget, we've got a lot of upcoming events. We've got the trunk or treat coming up. Uh, if you need to sign up, please do that. Call the church office if you want to help us with that. Uh, we do ask that it's a member uh, or that you are with a member of our church or an attender of our church to do one of the, the cars, uh, to set up one of the trunk or treat cars. Uh, but please sign up on the bo board out here in the hallway uh, if you want to decorate a car, if you just want to be a helper to help handing out uh, hot dogs, hot chocolate, we've got tons of hot chocolate. So plan to come that night, no matter how cold it is, uh, we'll warm you with some hot chocolate. Uh, just came back with that yesterday. Uh, we're going to have a ton of candy uh, that we'll be able to give out. So if you want to donate candy, you can still do that. Uh, bring that to the church office, outside the church office, and, and give that. Uh, but you can help on that night with parking. Uh, there's a myriad of ways that you can help with that. That's one of our big things that's coming up. There's a lot of other things. Look at your uh, bulletin there, and you'll see those things. We do have sign-up sheets. Uh, on the board down the hallway for missions uh, for the Operation Christmas Child. Uh, one is for a Saturday after Thanksgiving. The other is for December the 10th. Uh, we have uh, 16 slots with two different times there. Uh, so I encourage you to sign up on those uh, as quickly as you can. Uh, in the next two weeks, we'll be uh, opening that up to some other churches for the possibility to go. So get your name on there. Uh, even if you just think you're going, get your name on there before we open that up uh, to others. So Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our hymn. Good evening. 
Those of you that are here, sing really loud so they can hear you join in over the uh, microphones and not have to just listen to me. We're singing one that I've not sang a lot, uh, but uh, we're going to sing it tonight. So join me in singing 197, Rejoice the Lord is King. Miss Pat. Pat. All right, hopefully you've had at home a chance to go to the website there to download our prayer list. Uh, I'm going to take just a moment to switch over to Facebook so that I can make sure that I'm seeing any live prayer requests that come in there. Uh, as you look at our prayer list, we're going to just take a little bit of time tonight, uh, other than our normal time, to go down the uh, family side, you can push the volume down and it still doesn't go off. <laughs> There's two different volume controls on, on an iPhone. Uh, so I'm there with you live, so as you make any comments, uh, I'll see uh, those with you there. Hopefully. Uh, so as you look at your prayer list on the HBC family side, uh, we have S&W and Carolyn Stone, uh, Charles Saunders. Charles has been here for several Sundays with us. He still has his ongoing issues with his esophagus that we still want to keep him in prayer for. Uh, Sandra Wells uh, has not been doing as well. Leanne is doing better, uh, and she's actually here with us tonight volunteering with Awana. So we'll remove her from the list, but do continue to remember Sandra. She still had a difficult time getting over the last COVID that she had. I remember Jim Hess in your prayers. He's been here, but he is uh, always asking for traveling mercies uh, as he drives a semi-tractor trailer. And so keep him in your prayers. Uh, remember Miss Vicki Boswell. She has several uh, medical situations and conditions going on. Um, Wanda Nichols, who has kidney issues. Belle Royton, who with her Bell's palsy. Uh, Mike Durham, Bill Warren uh, with his COPD. And I talked to Miss Faye uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's still dealing with that and still dealing with after effects of that, but uh, is doing a better than what he was when we first put him uh, on this list. So keep him in your prayers. Arthur Hargrove, uh, he comes, but he still has some issues too to remember. Miss Beverly Daniels is back home, but she uh, has the recovery there from her chemo and the cancer 
treatments that she's had. Ms. Rosalie Moore, uh, and next month will be her 100th birthday, and we're excited about that, praying uh, for God for that, and so uh, that'll be a wonderful celebration there. But do continue to keep her uh, in your prayers. Gil is doing better. He's back at work. I saw him at work, uh, I think it was week before last, uh, and he's doing much better. Uh, still's got that rehab uh, to go through uh, from his car wreck, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, Kim Saunders, keep her in your prayers with medical issues. Brenda Gilbert, uh, who has some back issues. Myra Watson, uh, I believe she... Uh, 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 I won't say her situation because I don't know that I'm at liberty uh, to, but just some medical issues uh, there. Miss Kay Fox had her surgery uh, yesterday. Everything seemed to go well. She's actually been back today for rehab. And so I uh, don't know how she did with her rehab, but uh, she did good with the surgery. And so keep her in your prayers too for that as she had her knee surgery. Remember Cindy Jordan, Susie Barton, uh, and Susie, uh, if I'm not mistaken, has been moved to Morning Point. So uh, keep her and that family in your prayers. Uh, Robert Everett, he's doing much better, so we can remove him from the list. He had had some internal bleeding. Things are going well there. He said he's going to follow everything the doctors <laughs> told him to do. Uh, Mark Raymond, uh, I guess it was a week, a week or a week and a half ago, had his back epidural, uh, and he will probably still have to have some of that down the road, uh, but uh, he's, uh, he just pray for him. Uh, he continues to have uh, those back issues, as well as Diane Tatum, uh, who's back with some back issues and looking to have a back procedure soon also. Uh, and then I was talking with Brother Jack Doubt as they were coming in, because Samantha had told me about him, that uh, he's going to be going this week or next? next week to have some shots for his back. So keep him in your prayers and possible surgery that'll be upcoming too, but that's not been scheduled yet. Uh, so just pray that everything will go well with that and the scheduling for that. Uh, and then also in our nursing home assisted living list, we have Mary Campbell, uh, who's at NHC, Peggy Eggleston at Life Care, uh, James Johnson, uh, we should have removed him from the list. He passed away. Uh, we have his family uh, on the other side, on the friends and family side to remember uh, in prayer there, as well as Susie Barton at Morning Point and Rita Fulcher has been moved to Life Care of Tullahoma. Uh, she does have cancer. Uh, it is back, it's in her spine. Uh, she told me when I went to visit her the other day that she decided she's not gonna do any more of the treatments. It caused a lot of blisters in her mouth that just made it so unbearable to even eat anything. And so she's decided uh, not to do any of that, uh, but they are making her comfortable and everything as she's moved over to Life Care of Tullahoma. Uh, so remember them in prayer, uh, just a couple on the bottom of our friends and family side there. As we have already mentioned the James Johnson family as he passed away, remember that family. Remember Virginia Craig Griffin, uh, she's the, uh, um, she was Andrew's uh, ex-wife. So remember her in your prayer, she had a tumor removed or is going to be having that removed. Uh, at the end of the month. Uh, and then also remember Robert and Sandy Sims with cancer, that's some friends of Roger and Kay Williams, and then Katie Pugh with lymphoma. Uh, that's a request from Ella Thames. Uh, any others that we need to mention or any updates of those that are on any side here? Any updates from online? Oh, she did, okay. All right, so remember Robert and the family there and the passing of Sandy. Any others? I don't see any requests there on Facebook or any updates. Anybody else in here with any other updates before we go to the Lord in prayer? Just remember if you are online there and you don't get there quick enough to Facebook, do it anytime during our service. We'll check at the very end just to make sure there's nothing there that we need to report. Uh, and then you can always call the church office uh, this evening or tomorrow and leave a, leave a message for us. We'll get that prayer request on our prayer list. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Then. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and that you are always there for us, even when we don't always see what you are doing. 
You are a loving, almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God who is ever-present with us no matter where we are or what we're going through. And so we come tonight, Lord, to lean upon you rather than our own understanding. We come to you tonight, Lord, uh, seeking your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness for our sins. Because, Lord, when we come into your presence knowing you are a holy God, it, it just stands in a stark contrast, Lord, to who we are that we are sinful creatures who need to be saved, sinful creatures who are, are just sinners saved by grace. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, bring any sin in our hearts, in our lives, things that maybe we have done against you, things that maybe, Lord, we have done against others, maybe even thoughts that we've had that have been unpure thoughts or, or unholy thoughts, uh, or maybe, Lord, it's things that we failed to do that you told us to do, you commanded us to do, and maybe we let an opportunity pass that we knew you told us in your word to share the gospel with someone, and we just refused to do it. So, Father, I pray that you would forgive us of all of our sins, whatever that sin may be, as you shine the light of the truth of your word in our lives, and, Lord, you light the path before us. Help us, Lord, to come to that place of confession and acknowledging, Lord, that we need you and we need your love and we need your forgiveness tonight. Lord, we don't want anything to hinder our prayers. We want to have powerful, effectual, fervent prayers uh, before you. And so, Father, we just come, Lord, also asking for your will to be done, not our own will to be done. We ask, Lord, that you would provide for all of our needs. You know specifically what those needs are, but help us, Lord, to, to see those things and to ask those things specifically. Lord, I pray that if there's anything we ask you about tonight uh, that is not uh, a part of a need or a part of your will, then Father, I pray that you would uh, make that known to us in our hearts. Convict us with the power of the Spirit uh, to not request that or to, or to ask forgiveness for requesting something that was selfish. Uh, Father, I pray that as we come before you, we definitely, Lord, uh, just want to be in the center of your will. Uh, Lord, we don't want any hindrance between our, uh, us and you tonight in our time of prayer. And we know that if we regard sin in our hearts, if we hold on to sin in our hearts, uh, then you will not hear from heaven. So cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Wash us as white as snow. Cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. And Father, as we come before you into your humble presence, Lord, before your throne of grace, we do come with boldness, Lord, not boldness in anything we have done, but boldness in what Christ has done for us. And Lord, I pray that as we come before you, you have told us, Lord, to intercede on the behalf of others. And so we're coming tonight, Lord, to intercede on behalf of people. Uh, many of these people are hurting physically, and we just ask God for you to intervene in their hearts and in their lives. Show your power and your glory and your majesty as you bring healing to their bodies. Father, we thank you for the healings that you have brought, for the, for the restoration that you're bringing to people uh, physically. Uh, Lord, we pray that through that you will also uh, renew them spiritually, that if they know Christ as Lord and Savior, that through these things they're going through, it would just strengthen their faith in you, strengthen their walk with you. Uh, Lord, that as people are looking at them going through the circumstance they're going through, and we know that people do watch us, Lord, that they would see Christ in us. They would see the way that we handle those situations we're going through as, as God-honoring and Christ-honoring. And Father, I pray that it will be a powerful testimony to them of your saving grace and mercy as we walk through even sometimes the valley of the shadow of death. And so we just pray for you to embrace those, Lord, who have lost loved ones uh, over these past weeks. We pray, Lord, for you to strengthen them, to help them to lean upon you uh, during this time. And, and Father, I pray that you will comfort them with a comfort that only comes from the presence of Jesus Christ in their hearts and lives, a, a peace, Lord, in their lives that passes all understanding. And so, Father, we pray for you to to intervene in their lives too. Lord, whatever other needs may be represented here uh, in these people's lives, sometimes when we are sick, we know we have medical bills, we have uh, medicine that has to be pur purchased also, and, and Lord, that can put a financial strain on, on our lives and on our family. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, just meet those needs too, whether it's financial or, or emotional, maybe it's stress that's going on in the family, uh, maybe it's between a husband and a wife. Lord, whatever the need, 
needs are there besides just the physical, we pray, God, that your grace would be poured out upon those individuals to meet that need. And, and especially, Lord, we ask for you to make yourself known in the greatest way possible to those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, to meet the greatest need that they have of knowing Jesus as Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would use us in whatever way that you would to share the love of Christ with them, uh, Father, to minister to them, to encourage them. But, Father, I pray that you'll bring people across their path who will share with them the good news of the gospel and that through even the most difficult of circumstances that people are going through, uh, people, these individuals who are without Christ, uh, would learn that there is only one who they can turn to, and that is Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior, to bring them through safely to the other side. Lord, bless our time tonight as we come to study your word, and we just pray, God, that your word would be powerful and alive here in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged as we look at this passage. Uh, it is one of those things that we are looking forward to in the last days. Uh, and Father, I just pray that uh, word by word, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as we walk through the book of Revelation, may you continue, Lord, to pour out upon us that threefold blessing of reading your word, of hearing your word, but most importantly, of keeping your word, obeying your word, as we learn the application from the book of Revelation to where we are currently in our lives. So bless us tonight, and we just ask, Lord, for your will to be done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And I think I left my little uh, Revelation chart down there, but you'll see. No, I actually have it. It's in my Bible. Uh, you'll see your Revelation chart. Uh, the prophecy chart. If you don't have one of those, especially at home, uh, you can get one of those. Just email us, uh, make a comment there in one of the platforms that you're in. Uh, let us know you want that. Give us your uh, address and stuff. You can do that by calling us or emailing us if you don't want to put that on social media. Uh, but it's a great resource to have as you study through the book of Revelation. If you're here in person, they're over here to my right. Uh, on the stage, and you can grab one of those as well as the numbers charts. Uh, we won't be looking at many numbers tonight other than this thousand number that we're going to be looking at about the thousand year reign. And so you'll see that we are almost here to the very end. We are in this last section here now uh, of the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, just barely at the very beginning of this as we open this up. Uh, and, and it's only going to be just a few verses that cover this whole thousand-year period to let us know what is going uh, to happen. It's a period of peace and righteousness that's going to last for a thousand years. So it's the reign of Jesus Christ and all of his saints. Great resource for you to have. Uh, encourage you to get one of those uh, if you can. If you want the full-color version, you can go to David Jeremiah's website of, of Turning Point, uh, and you can download the color version uh, from their website for free, or you can request uh, the color version uh, from them, and they'll send that to you in the mail. It takes a few weeks uh, for them to do that. Uh, but that's where this has been adapted from for our purpose and for where we are. So as you look here at Revelation chapter 20, uh, I want to begin in just a moment here with just verse 1 and verse 2 uh, of chapter 20, and then to just get you to imagine some things as we see what this begins for us. So verse 1 of chapter 20 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So when you get the picture here entering into Revelation chapter 20, we have seen all kinds of judgment that has been poured out upon the people uh, for, for their rebellion against God. Uh, it was justified and probably more would be justified upon us and upon them uh, in that last day. Uh, but we've seen all kinds of turmoil. We've seen uh, wars. We've seen uh, plagues. We've seen uh, waters that have turned to blood. We've seen the animal life that's been destroyed. Uh, we've seen people that just continue after all of that's happened, things that have happened to them with boils on their skin and stuff, that they still refuse to repent. They still refuse to turn to the Lord. But when you get to chapter 20, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine a world where there's no depravity. 
Imagine a world where there's no crime of any kind, no murder, no robbery, no rape, no lying, no stealing. Uh, it's all non-existent. Uh, there's no need for burglar alarms because there's no burglars. There's no need for gun control laws because there's no guns. It's as safe to walk back uh, the back alley of some major city in the darkness as it is uh, in the night to walk in an open cornfield in the light of day. It's a world where there are no prisons because there are no criminals. Imagine a world where there are no disasters. There's no famine because nobody's hungry. Uh, there's no drought because nobody's thirsty. Uh, there's no tornadoes, no hurricanes, no flash floods of any kind because the weather and the climate are absolutely perfect all year round. Imagine a world where there's no disease, there's no hospitals uh, because nobody's getting physically sick. There's no mental institutions because no one is mentally sick. Uh, there's no need for doctors or nurses or surgeons or medicine or drugs of any kind because everyone is perfectly and permanently healthy. Imagine a world where there's no death, there are no cemeteries, no tombstones, no, no black crepe on the door, no casket, no funeral homes, no weeping, no wailing over the loss of loved ones because no one ever dies. Uh, this is a world where the lion and the lamb, the calf and the wolf, the cow and the bear, the child and the scorpion lie down together in perfect peace. Imagine a world where there is no devil. Imagine a world where there is no evil because the evil one has been removed. Uh, this is a world where there's no temptation because the tempter has been removed. You may say, if you imagine all those things, well, that sounds like utopia. I want to tell you it's better than that because what we've just described there for you, uh, we've described the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. 3,000 years ago, the prophet Daniel made two predictions. First of all, he predicted the king is coming. Here's what he said in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, and you'll, you'll know that from what we've seen before. There are many times we have to go back to Old Testament passages to understand the New Testament revelation. And so Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 is one of those as he predicts the king is coming. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. But notice that the prophet didn't stop there. Not only did he predict that the king was coming, he also predicted that the kingdom is coming because notice what verse 14 of chapter 7 in Daniel goes on to say. It says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Now, I believe in a literal kingdom because I believe in a literal king. I believe the scripture teaches that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to establish a millennial kingdom, uh, one in which we're going to rule and reign with him over this world for 1,000 years, uh, as we see there in verse 2. Uh, we have before us in this marvelous passage a description of what is going to take place in the beginning of this millennial reign, uh, what will take place uh, during this millennial reign, and we see a description of what is going to happen at the end of this millennial reign. The first thing we see at the beginning is the removal of Satan. Whew, we've been waiting for that, haven't we? We've been waiting for the removal of Satan. And so read again with me, if you will, verse 1 and verse 2. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, what we see here as he begins to give us this description of what begins with the millennial reign, that there is no room for Satan in the Savior's kingdom. So he's the first that's removed from the scene. Notice that Satan is presented here as a real person. That's important because of what we're going to see in just a moment. It never ceases to amaze me the people who will believe in God, but they don't believe in the Bible. Uh, they don't believe in the devil. Uh, but all through the Bible, the devil is revealed as being just as real as God. We're even given here, through, various, through the various names of the devil, his personal characteristics. In verse 2, he's called the dragon, the serpent, the serpent of old, uh, the devil, uh, and Satan. 
He's called the dragon because he's dangerous. He's called a serpent because he's devious. You think of the serpent in the garden. He's called the devil because he's discouraging. He's called the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren day and night. He's called Satan because he's destructive. He is our adversary. He is our enemy who seeks to oppose us and fight us at every turn. In fact, the Bible says he is roaming about seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy and so don't make the mistake of ignoring the reality of the devil. Now, he's not equal with God. He's not even equal with Jesus. So we don't have to worry about that. But nonetheless, he is real. So understand that you can't possibly uh, fight, much less defeat an enemy that you don't believe exists. Too often, uh, we want to place the devil in the same category as, a, as some kind of cartoon character or a fictitious person in some fairy tale. Well, I want to tell you, Satan is real. And this personal devil is removed from the scene prior to the millennial reign. Notice when he's removed. Uh, so we're, we're given first the duration uh, of his removal. Uh, he's removed, he's imprisoned for 1,000 years. And it's from that phrase, 1,000 years, that we get the concept of millennial reign. Uh, now understand this, the word millennium, surprisingly, isn't found in the Bible. But, the, but that's really not all that much of a cause of concern because the word missions isn't found uh, in the scriptures. But the Bible teaches the responsibility of missions. The word trinity isn't used in the Bible. But the Bible certainly tr teaches the Trinitarian person of the Godhead. So even though the word millennial or, or millennium isn't found in the Bible, the concept of the millennium is taught in the Bible. Now the word millennium comes from two Latin words, one mille, which means 1,000, and the other word annum, from where we get the word annual, uh, which means year. And so this imprisonment of the devil lasts for 1,000 years while Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. Now, this is where this is important because there are several different schools of thought uh, concerning this millennial reign. There are some who belong to the school of thought known as amillennialism. The ah there is an alpha privative, uh, a negative prefix, which simply means that there is no millennial reign. This group doesn't take this passage literally. Uh, they don't believe in, and there are places in Revelation where we don't take some things literal. We talk about Satan as a dragon, He's not a literal dragon that is figurative. So there are sometimes things that are figurative uh, in the book of Revelation. But this group doesn't take this passage literally. Uh, they don't believe in any sort of literal 1,000-year reign uh, upon this earth. They believe that the devil has already uh, been chained. When Jesus uh, was crucified and died on the cross and arose from the grave in the resurrection, that was it. Uh, and, and my only response is, is if he's chained, it's a very long chain. Because indeed the way things are, are going and seem to be going all the time, uh, if he's chained, Lord help us if he ever gets loose. <laughs> so furthermore, uh, the amillennial group spiritualizes the kingdom itself. They say this isn't a literal kingdom at all that's going to be set up on a literal earth, but it's, a, it's all spiritual. Now that's hard for me at least to conceive uh, how these same people will take the devil literally and heaven literally and the lake of fire and brimstone literally, but they won't take the thousand year reign literally. Uh, but furthermore, it would also be a mystery to me why uh, our Lord down through two millennia uh, would, would have us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That day hasn't yet arrived. So if it had already arrived, why do we have to pray for that to happen? Uh, that day hasn't yet arrived, and it can't arrive until the Lord establishes his heavenly kingdom on this earth. There's another school of thought known as post-millennialism. Post means after. And so these people, even though I believe today they are fewer in number than they've ever been, they believe that the world, uh, through the preaching of the gospel and the witness of Jesus Christ, is just going to get better and better and better and better until we enter into this practical utopian state, which will last 1,000 years, at the end of which Christ will come. Now, their theolo theology demands that the world is going to get better and not worse. The only problem is the 
Scripture teaches exactly the opposite. We've been reading that all along through the book of Revelation. Uh, but even in 2 Timothy, here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 through verse 5. He said, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times not of, of praise and joy and worship, but of difficulty. There's going to be times of difficulty in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. That doesn't sound like it's getting better and better. Paul is telling Timothy it's going to get worse and worse. Uh, one of the sure signs of the second coming, in fact, is that things are going to get worse. Things are going to get darker before they get brighter. Things are going to get heavier before they get lighter. Things are going to get wronger before they get righter. And so Charles Spurgeon, he once said this. He said, apart from the second coming of Christ, the world is more likely to sink into pandemonium than to rise to a millennium. But there's one other school of thought known as pre-millennialism. Uh, this is the thought where I, I fall at. We believe that Jesus comes first before the millennium uh, can be ushered in. We believe that when the Lord Jesus comes, he's going to establish a 1,000-year kingdom of peace and prosperity and perfection on this earth. Uh, that means that it's going to be a literal king ruling over a literal kingdom filled with literal subjects on a literal earth. There is, though, a fourth somewhat view uh, that many people have come to know as pan-millennialists. Uh, they believe that it's all going to pan out in the end. But may I just add parenthetically and, and even emphatically, all of these different views, are, they're no kind of test of fellowship. I, I can fellowship with those who are amillennial, those who are post-millennial, and those who are pre-millennial. I know some people who, who just get fighting mad uh, between pre-millennial and post-millennial and amillennial, and there's no need for that. Uh, we can fellowship with those who, who believe a, in a literal kingdom as well as those who may be uh, looking at this symbolically. But just make sure you believe in a literal king who is literally coming. Uh, that's the truth that we all need to agree on. Notice secondly in this section where he is removed. You see this in verse 3. So in verse 3 it says, And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. So we're also given the destination of his removal, the bottomless pit. Now understand, the bottomless pit is not the lake of fire. Now we already saw last time that the false prophet uh, and the beast, they were cast into the lake of fire already. The devil, the dragon, is cast into the bottomless pit at this point, which is not uh, the lake of fire. It's not hell. Uh, and contrary to popular opinion, Satan isn't the Lord of hell. Jesus is the Lord of hell. Hell isn't the place where Satan wants to go. It's a place where one day Satan will have to go. And so during this time of this thousand-year reign, he is cast into this bottomless pit. Literally, the word there is abyss. Uh, earlier, we were told that Satan had the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the door of that hellish place and, and opened it, and hordes of demons came out to invade the earth. Over and over in the scriptures, we're told that the abyss is the place of imprisonment of every kind of foul, wicked, uh, malevolent, evil spirit uh, and, and now we see that an angel of heaven has the key. So the devil had it when he unlocked and let all his uh, demons out. Now this angel of heaven has the key, and he binds the devil in a chain made by the hands of a crucified Lord and imprisons him in this spiritual prison for 1,000 years. And then we see at the last part of verse 3 why he is removed. It says he threw him into the pit, shut it, sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Now, the, the, the reason why Satan is removed from this earth 
is so that he could be taken out of the world, uh, out of the world of international politics. Remember, he's been in the political world, bringing all the political groups together to come against Jerusalem, all the kings that came, all those people that came. And then with the word of God, uh, word of Jesus, he just spoke and the battle was done. The battle was over. Uh, and so uh, he, he's removed to remove him from that place of power. He's the one who deceives nations into fighting one another. Uh, he's the one who deceives the nations into rebelling against God. He's the one who's the ultimate cause of the wars and the conflicts on this earth. This world is never going to have peace as long as Satan is a part of this world. Uh, will there be peace in the Middle East? Not as long as Satan is around. Uh, will there be peace? Uh, will they beat their, uh, their, their swords into plowshares? Yes, uh, but not as long as Satan is around. Uh, will there be wars and rumors of wars? Yes, as long as Satan is around. That's why Satan is removed. Now, we're going to see a little bit more about that in just a moment. But the second thing we learn here that happens in the middle of this reign is the reign of the saints in verse 4 down through verse 6. So who's going to rule in this millennium? Who's going to reign over this 1,000-year kingdom? Well, obviously, Jesus is going to be the king. But under him will be vice regents, uh, leaders who, who are the saints. And so notice the power of the saints in verse 4. He says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark in their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So you see the power of the saints. When Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, he's going to dethrone one group and he's going to enthrone another group. Isaiah chapter 24 verse 1 tells us of the group that he's going to dethrone. It says, On that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. So notice what it says in that verse. It says he's going to remove the host of heaven. Who's that? That's the devil. That's the devil and his demons. Uh, he's going to remove the kings of the earth, all those who were the wicked rulers uh, who followed the Antichrist during the great tribulation. And then he's going to enthrone another group. That's all the saints of all the ages who've loved our Lord and our Savior. Every martyr who was beheaded because of their stand for the Savior and their stand for the Scripture is going to reign. Every tribulation saint who refused even unto death to worship the beast or to receive his mark, they're going to live and they're going to reign with our Lord for a thousand years. Everyone who's a child of the King will be a prince, will be a ruler upon this earth. Notice the protection of the saints when we get to verse 5. It says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So all of the saved will be a part of the first resurrection. Now in the Bible, there is no such thing as a general resurrection where both the saved and the lost, the righteous and the wicked are going to be raised together. There are actually two resurrections. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, in verse 28 and verse 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So you could see how some people could get the idea of a general resurrection where the, the saved and the lost are raised at the same time. But now in Revelation, we're given an even deeper truth. These two resurrections are separated by the thousand years. The first resurrection is for the saved. The second resurrection is for the lost. The second resurrection... We won't get to tonight as much, but I do want to read the verse for you. It's down in verse 13. Verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So for all eternity, we see that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So you better make sure that you're a part of the first resurrection because it's the first resurrection that protects us from the second death. That's what chapter, verse 6 is, is telling us about. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Now what is the second death? That's found in verse 14 and 15. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So in the Bible, there's two kinds of death. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. Now, all of us are acquainted with physical death, which is the separation of the soul from the body. But the second death is the spiritual death, which is separation of the soul from God. So, so what is all of this telling us? It's simply this. If you are born twice, you only die once. But if you're born once, you'll surely die twice. You'll die physically and you'll die spiritually. If you die twice, you'll find it would have been far better if you'd never been born at all. Your eternal destiny is sealed by the time of your resurrection. So if you're raised first, at most you'll die once. But if you're raised second, you'll surely die twice. That's the second death. Notice the purity of the saints. We see that in the second part of verse 6. Not only are they blessed, but they are holy. Holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. So here we see the character of those who enjoy the first resurrection. They have a happy state because they're blessed. They also have a holy standing. Uh, they're both joyful and justified, not by anything they did, but by what has been imputed to them through what Christ did for them. His righteousness has been given to them. Their righteousness, the Bible tells us, and our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so they're, they're, they're justified, they're holy, and they're happy because both in this life and in the life to come, holiness and happiness always go together. So we see the purity of the saints. But we also notice the position of the saints. Notice the, the next part here uh, of verse 6. So blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death, and we just read about what the second death is, has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. So God's saints hold two offices during this millennial reign, the office of king, the office of priest. There are kings, uh, that refers to their royalty. They are priests, that refers to their righteousness. So just think, for all eternity, having the sovereignty of a king and the sanctity of a priest. But then notice the end of the millennium, we see the rebellion of the sinner. Now look at verse 7. At the end of this thousand-year reign, there's this one last confrontation between the devil and God, between the sinner and the Savior, between good and evil, and this confrontation takes place in three stages. The first is in Satan's release, in Satan's release. It says, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Now remember what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us Satan is like. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But for 1,000 years, this lion is going to be caged in a, in a bottomless pit, in a, in a solitary confinement, if you will. But suddenly... The door of this cage is thrown open, and with that pent-up rage that's been simmering for a thousand years, the image here is that he leaps forth once again to deceive the nations. So that raises a very important question. Why is he released? Why is he allowed even one last comeback? Why didn't God just throw him into the lake of fire to start with and be done with it? Well, I can tell you in three words. It's actually four because one of them's a contraction. I don't know. <laughs> the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And I believe this is just one of those secret things that only God really knows. I like what one man said. He said, you tell me why God released the devil in the first place, and I'll tell you why God releases the devil in the second place. 
Why do you even let him come down to this earth to reap the, 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 the madness and the sinfulness that he did? Uh, but he's released. And because people are still people, sin is still sin, and he still knows how to bring the two together. And so he'll have one final fling, one last showdown where he's going to strike out at both God and his saints. He's going to make one last attempt to establish himself as the king of this universe. Now notice the sinner's response in verse 8, at the beginning of verse 9. It says, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So amazingly, when Satan returns after this thousand-year absence, it's like he just picks right back up where he left off, like nothing ever changed. People follow him just as eagerly as they did before. For a thousand years, think about it, these people during the millennial reign here obeyed God not because they wanted to, but because they had to. Psalm 66 verse 3 says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing or submitting to you. In other words, they don't obey God because of their love for him, but because of his power over them. But finally, they get another chance to show their true colors. They get another chance to rebel against the God who loves them, the one who would give them eternal life if just they would only let him. And so I believe this could be one of the reasons why the devil's released, and that's to show that time doesn't change either the character of the devil or the character of people. In other words, both are incurably evil and in need of salvation. I also believe he's bound for this thousand years, partly so people couldn't blame it on the devil. You know, we tend to do that right now. We want to say, oh, it's the devil's fault. He made me do it. A thousand years, he ain't even there. He's not around to make you do it. What I believe it's to do there is, is, that, is to show that we are sinful in our nature, with or without the devil around. And this ought to prove to us once and for all that, that the environment is neither our, our problem nor our solution. For the second time, people are placed in a perfect environment, just like the Garden of Eden kind of environment. And for the second time, people rebel against God. You know, there are people today who are trying to blame the environment for our problems, the, 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 the society around us. If we just had better schools, things would be better. If we just had better parents, better this, better that, we would have a better world. Understand this, when you educate the devil, then all you have is a clever devil. When you educate a sinner, all you have is a smart sinner. It's not external pressures that need to happen, it's internal. You know, this ought to prove once and for all that people don't need a change from the outside in, we need a change from the inside out. And so the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Because people in this age uh, that we're looking at here are gospel hardened. But people in that age will be glory hardened. And so once again, another vast army of Satan's soldiers are gathered for one last battle. And you have to admit, Satan is no coward. Uh, just like a gambler, he's addicted to the dice. He stakes everything on one final throw and he attacks what? The beloved city. What's the beloved city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is known throughout the scripture as God's capital city, as his beloved city. And so he comes against the camp of the saints, all of the saved of all of the ages. But deja vu, Armageddon basically is repeated again. Notice the Savior's revenge in the last two verses we'll look at tonight. In the remaining part of verse 9 and then all of verse 10. So it says, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth in verse 9 and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But, but the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So once again, the battle is over before it even starts. First, there's the fiery death of the sinner. 
God's judgment is swift. God's judgment is sure. Not one shot is fired. Not one saint is harmed. God simply turns, if you will, the blowtorch of his breath against the demonic army and poof, it's all over. Instantly they're incinerated. Instantly they're cremated in one fiery flash. But then there's the final doom of Satan there in verse 10. Finally, once and for all, the devil gets his due. That lake of fire, that burning hell which was prepared from the beginning of time for him and his angels uh, receives him to be tormented with the beast and the false prophet day and night forever and ever. You know, when I think about the fact that there's no devil in the first two chapters of the Bible and there's no devil in the last two chapters as we're going to see next week of the Bible, I thank God for a book that gets rid of the devil once and for all. Isn't that awesome? The verdict was rendered 2,000 years ago at Calvary, but the sentence is yet to be executed. But one day it will be carried out. The story is told of a little boy who was sitting up late at night. He was reading this murder mystery in a, in a big old creaky house, and he was getting more and more frightened because uh, there was a villain in that story who was doing all kinds of terrible things to good people. There was a hero and there was a heroine, uh, it, and it looked as if they were going to be murdered uh, and that they were going to be taken out of the story. Well, this little fella, he's, he's getting more and more scared, and, and he's in the middle of this book, and he does something that, that he felt would help him. He takes that book and he turns over to the end and he goes to the last chapter there of the book and he read the last chapter of the book and he saw that it was a melodrama. He saw how the villain was finally gotten rid of, how the, how the, 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 the villain finally got it uh, right in the head and how the hero and the heroine uh, rode off into the sunset together to live happily ever after. And after he read that, he went back and he read the middle part of the book in a much more relaxed state. Every time that old villain would come along intending to do somebody harm, that little boy would, would just put a big smile on his face and said, Aha, if you just know what I know, if you just knew what I know, you wouldn't be so proud right now. Friend, understand this. The opera ain't over till the fat lady sings. When the she sings, Jesus is going to be on top. When the trumpet sounds, that's it. It's over. And Jesus wins. What an awesome place that we finally come to in the book of Revelation. I want to tell you, it gets even better in these last two chapters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for everything we have seen to this point in the book of Revelation Lord, thank you that we know that even though the devil today roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, knowing that he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy, Lord, we already know the end of the story. He's a defeated foe already. Lord, I pray that as we've already read the end of the story here in the book of Revelation, I pray, Lord, that that will give us comfort and peace, that no matter what we're reading in the rest of the Bible, no matter what we're going through in the rest of our lives, we would have that comfort and that confidence and that assurance knowing that the end of the story has already been written and Jesus wins. And when Jesus wins, those who are in Christ win also. So, Father, I pray that you'll give us that comfort and that peace and that confidence to live more boldly, to live faithfully for you even now, each and every day, each and every moment. And Father, I pray that you will bless us and keep us in the center of your will, doing all you would have us to do. Thank you for this passage, and I just pray that it will encourage us throughout the week, no matter what life may bring to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I hope you received a blessing from that part of chapter 20. We're going to finish chapter 20 next week, and then we'll be into those last two chapters, 21 and 22, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but just want to encourage you, uh, what an awesome book. You spend some time maybe even rereading and getting back to this place by the time we come back next time. But we'll be back this Sunday, uh, 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. You come and join us. We'll be in the life of Jesus in our sermon series. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful day to, have, uh, to worship the Lord. Uh, so you come and join us, whether you have to join us there online or you can come join us in person. But you have a blessed week. You stay safe, and we'll see you this Sunday. Thank you.